When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, kin folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on YouTube, the Fox Sports app, or listening wherever you get your podcast. And on this fateful day, the Pac-12 was resurrected and presented a path for its hero's journey in an effort to return to the college football playoff for the first time in five years. Let's go! It's the number one ranked show. So number 12, Oregon. Upsets. Number three, Ohio State at the shoe. Ohio State coach Ryan Day said earlier this week on his radio show that he recruited Oregon Ducks quarterback Anthony Brown while the QB was still at Boston College. That ought to have been our first clue about what Brown can do for you. He finished 17 of 35 for 236 with two tutties through the air and added another 65 yards on 10 rushes on the ground because UPS does the ground thing. But it would be Oregon running back C.J. Verdell who closed the sale on Ohio State on the road, 35-28 in Columbus, Ohio, with three total TDs and 194 total yards of offense. Oregon showed up to the shoe and put shoe to Buckeye. Ohio State walked into this game with two clenched fists, while Oregon walked in shirtless, scarified, dreadlocked out, and looking to toss a Buckeye body over the waterfall like, is this your king? Is, 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 is this your king? And they did it against perhaps the biggest offensive line in the sport. Left tackle Nicholas Petit Ferrer is six foot five, 315 pounds. Left guard Thayer Mumford is six foot six, 320 pounds. Center Luke Whipler is six foot three, 300 pounds. Right guard Paris Johnson Jr. is six foot six, 315 pounds. Pounds and right tackle Dewan Jones is six foot eight, 360 pounds. When those boys go out to eat, they don't get a menu, they get an estimate. But the Oregon defensive line stuck them with the whole check. And moments after that offensive line of Ohio State as Guardians allowed their first sack of the season, Buckeye quarterback CJ Stroud threw an interception with 304 left to play prior to the pick. Stroud had completed 34 of 53, 472 yards with three tutties. The pick sealed the win for an Ohio State, or excuse me, for an Oregon squad that walked into the shoot without linebacker Justin Flo or presumptive 2022 number one overall NFL draft pick, Kayvon Thibodeau, and handed Ohio State an L, like the title of my goddaughter's favorite children's book, Llama Llama, Buckeyes. Go cry to your mama. 
the Duck defense forced two turnover on downs out of Ohio State in the first half and three total. The first quarter ended scoreless for Ohio State for just the third time in the daytime era. The other two times happened when Wisconsin played. First in 2019 and again in the 2019 Big Ten title game. The Duck offensive line was mashing buck nuts into peanut butter. Not unlike Minnesota's offensive line a week ago. Matter of fact, Minnesota running back Muhammad Ibrahim rushed 30 times for 163 yards in game one versus Ohio State. And then Oregon tailback C.J. Verdell rushed 20 times for 161 rush yards in game two versus Ohio State. In both games, the defense has given up at least 31 points. Over 1,100 yards of offense were accumulated in this game where we've learned the 2021 Ohio State Buckeyes have a 2018 Oklahoma Sooners problem like the D in Django. The defense is silent. You know what else we learned about Oregon's 35-28 upset win against number three Ohio State? Fresno State's a doggone good football team. Just throwing that out there for you. And to think the Oregon offensive lines, or excuse me, the Oregon offensive playbook was simply just two words. Run left. <laughs> Leaving a duck on the old block logo is just as insulting, which totally happened. Shout out Charlotte Wilder. <laughs> My goodness, man. Look at this. Yikes. Iowa's defense was outstanding as number 10 Iowa beat number nine Iowa State 27 to 17. The Iowa defense scored three TDs in two games, recorded seven takeaways in two games, and scored 17, excuse me, 23 points off turnovers against Iowa State. Iowa is legit. It has two top 25 wins and is the only team in the country who can say so. The Hawkeyes have allowed just 23 points and look like they are threatening the Buckeyes for a Big Ten supremacy, let alone the Big Ten West Division title. Number five, Texas A&M survived Colorado, but I submit to you, the farmers are fraudulent. Starting, starting quarterback at Texas A&M, Haynes King, was injured early, lower leg injury, hope he's okay. And Ampersand U backup quarterback, Zach. Calzada replaced him. But at halftime, Carl Durrell's Buffaloes led the Farmers 7-3 in Denver. Ralphie getting it in. The Farmers put up just 81 yards in the first half, including 29 rush yards. Perspective. Colorado had put up over 200 in the half, and CU quarterback Brendan Lewis had passed for 66 and ran for 67. Colorado led number five, Texas A&M, 7-3 to start the fourth quarter and was looking like it was going to have the Pac-12 South double up the SEC West after UCLA got the get against an LSU squad a week ago. And all y'all told me that Ampersand U was ranked too lowly. Tisk, tisk. Now, in a season... That was supposed to be all breaks and no gas or whatever. Texas lost 40 to 21 to the Woo Pigs, Arkansas Racerback, which leads me to ask, where's the gas, Texas? I ranked you six, good Lord. Look here, man. 
Arkansas rushed for over 300 yards in this game. They got a dude named Ruckett running all up and down Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. Hudson Card got the hook. When Casey Tops came in, who I said should have been starting all along. Now you got the folks in Fayetteville who I have been gassing up for the better part of a full year on one. Yes, rank Arkansas, you cowards. Because I'm doggone sure gonna, and that's a tease for Tuesday's show. Now, when Jackson State and Tennessee State kicked off tonight, it was just, you know, the meeting of two legendary college and NFL players in Deion Sanders, who head coaches JSU, and Eddie George, who head coaches TSU. But it was also a meeting between two of just three. In both the FBS and the FCS, there are only three active head coaches who are also members of the College Football Hall of Fame. One is North Carolina coach and friend of the number one ranked show, Mac Brown. The other two, you got it, Deion Sanders and Eddie George. And Coach George was kind enough to join us here on the number one ranked show to talk about how and why he chose to take on a challenge, the challenge at TSU and describe his grand vision for a proud pillar of HBCU football. I'm here with Tennessee State head coach, Eddie George. Coach, how you doing? RJ, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, much better now. A couple of days after the loss, yeah, didn't it didn't end uh, or go the way that I, I saw in my mind. Um, but it's a great, some good things to build off of. I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see. I, I, I wish I had your energy on our sideline that on on set on Sunday. Uh, we might have pulled out a victory. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Coach, I was I was there with you in spirit. Uh, for those of you that do not know, Coach George was in a game looking to win it against Grambling in the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic at Tom Benson Stadium. And the only thing that I think you missed out on, Coach, was the who's who of folks on the broadcast at NFL Network. It was so much fun for me as I am an mm. HBCU football junkie. I yes. love the sport. I love what you're doing. But I want to talk about you for a second. Why do you want to coach or why did you want to coach? Well, initially, I didn't have coaching on my mind. Um, it was presented to me in a way that I thought was out of left field. <laughs> um, but in short, uh, after doing some soul searching and looking at the opportunity and, the, and, and to ask myself the question, is this something that I would regret not taking on later in my life? Mm. And the answer was yes. Um, because I, I have two sons of my own that played the game of football. Um, I played the game. I know what the lessons have done for me in my life. Uh, I, and, and I felt like given I have no coaching experience in game, um, I can put a team of people around me that, that do. And um, I can begin to help refurbish this program to back to excellence the way that it was in the past and, and to sustain that. Um, and it's, it's a great challenge. It's a great opportunity for me to do that, to teach through the spectrum of football, both wins and losses. Um, 
adversity and successes. I mean, all of that. I think it's, it's a great way to teach young men and how to build them into men um, from the things that we experience on a day-to-day basis. I got to ask, Coach, how did you persuade those folks that make up your team, your, your administrative team, I should say, your coaching staff, mm-hmm. to join you in this journey? Because I'm just going to rattle off some names here. You got mm-hmm. Jeff Fisher looking over your shoulder, making sure everything is okay. You got Brandon Fisher coaching your defense. You got Hugh Jackson coaching your offense. And then you over there with the visor and the headset. Like, how did that <laughs> come together? Well, uh, you know, it was a long process of finding the right people uh, mm-hmm. to see if they were available. One, to see if they were interested, two, uh, to join me on this venture. Um, and that's kind of, that, that, that's the one thing that led me into this opportunity was the people that were genuinely interested to say, hey, I'm going to ride with you on this, uh, to believe in me. I mean, sometimes for you to do something um, that's grand and great, it may take for someone else to see that in you um, to, to pursue that. And Mickey Allen and Dr. Glover, uh, President Glover, when they asked me initially to be the head coach, I said, I, I was like, man, please, this is, this is why y'all continue to lose because you're making decisions like this. But um, after really doing my due diligence and getting the perspective and opinions and insight from head coaches that I know in, in the NFL, as well as collegiately, they, um, gave me the vote of confidence that, you know, given the, the amount of time, the resources, the money, the, um, uh, the support system that I could be, uh, successful at this. And I said, you know what, if, however long I do it for, I'm going to give my, my all into it and see what comes, what comes next. Well, it, it looks like you were having a good time. Uh, the team looks like it's getting better. I mean, you got, man, you got Devin Starlin out there just running people down. I mean, the football itself, I think, was my favorite part. I wonder, is that been your favorite part so far? Have you had some fires you had to put out? Uh, have I had some fires? Yes, sir. Oh, man. Okay. Call me the, oh, call right. me the marshal right here. That's, that's all I do. <laughs> fires out. Uh, you know, it's on the football field and outside the football field. You know, it hasn't been a full year since I've been here. We haven't had a spring to do installation. Um, trying to get my arms wrapped around this um, a behemoth of a program and all of the moving parts and all of the um, inefficiencies within it and, and, and looking at, okay, well, what can be salvageable here and how can I enhance it or what are the things that we can do to tighten up our, our operations um, has been the, the challenge of it all. And in the midst of that, trying to get a team prepared coming out of COVID, you know, uh, has been a challenge. It's been, it's been unprecedented. I, I, I mean, it's been a lot that's gone on in my life. Lost both my mother and father this year uh, to their illnesses. And that's been a challenge. So every day, has been something in terms of putting out fires, but the blessing in, in that is that it's cutting my teeth, it's stretching me, it's forcing me to have to deal with crisis management, uh, to deal with multiple personalities and giving them the support they need to be successful from a coaching staff, plus the hundred or so players that I deal with on a day-to-day basis to get them to believe in what we're trying to do 
and to discipline them in terms of, hey, you know, there's a consequence with every action that's not in concert with, 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 with what we're preaching and what we're trying to do, where we're trying to go. Um, so those moments have been a lot of fun for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of putting out fires, but on the football field, um, we, this is the first time that really in live action, live bullets in real situations that we say, okay, here's our product. We're going to put it in the fire and pull out the fire. We see what, what doesn't stick. What's not going to last. Ah, now I see where the problems are. Now I see where we have to pick up. Uh, some things from an uh, offensive standpoint to simplify more or emphasize more. Now I see it. You know, prior to that, it was tough to see really we, where we where we are and who we are because we hadn't faced adversity yet. Coach, I'm going to talk straight at this. Uh, your game September 11th, Jackson State on one sideline. We have Deion Sanders on the other sideline. We have Eddie George for myself. I could not imagine two men with your star power, with your resumes, with these Hall of Fame characteristics, you with the Heisman Trophy. Prime is prime, right? Prime is prime. (laughs) Right. Like you you realize what that means for the sport, what that means for HBCU schools to know that two men like yourselves, not just your image, but you're building the programs back to what they once were. Yeah. Um, and, and Dan and I have, have talked about that, um, the impact. I, I mean, when, when Prime first took the opportunity at Jackson State, hmm. he left his his job at uh, NFL Network. And I was like, yo, that is awesome. I said that he is going to do some great things. If you look on social media, how he's media training with the uh, his players, he's getting them new uniforms, a new field, new resources, a new look, a new flavor. Uh, a new a new way to believe. Uh, I, I was like, man, that's awesome. Shot him a text and say, hey man, you continue to do great things. Little did I know that two or three months later, I'll be in the same boat. So I was like, wow, okay, God, you want to you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. I was happy doing some other things. I was happy playing golf every day. You know, trying to hit my, my driver straight and, and nine iron straight and going to my son's games, building my businesses, acting on Broadway, acting, you know, on television, trying to build up my, my resume and that. Uh, but it took a complete shift into this. And um, I'm bringing all of that stuff with me, all of my resources, all the things to help enhance the student athlete experience to be the bet to be their best selves both on and off the football field and everything in between that. So um, it, it's, 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 it's a situation where it's like uh, I'm in a twilight zone. Like, man, I'm really coaching on the sideline and I'm coaching against Dion's team, you know. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege. But now that I'm in it, I, I'm not so much worried about the optics from the outside, but more or less how do I get my team prepared to put their best foot forward come Saturday? Uh, Coach, uh, I'm excited about what your season is going to hold, but uh, you mentioned Coach Prime and his big vision for Jackson State, really his big vision for HBCU football. Like he was going, Mm -hmm. why don't we put the names of the kids on the back of the jerseys and the swag? But he's also, I thought, with a really interesting concept, for me at least, is the concept of combining the MEAC and the swag. Now, I know that's going to make some people upset, but it also got me thinking about you being in the Ohio Valley Conference, do you think that 
perhaps, perhaps you have an athletic director, a president that might be open to such a thing? Um, we've, we've talked about that, given where college football is going with the Power Five, you know, making those alliances and those, uh, um, um, those, those super conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a trickle-down effect to the smaller schools like ourselves and how that looks on a grander scale. Um, I think it's something that's, that's worth talking about. It has to make the most sense uh, financially speaking for our university, where we are trying to go, what we're trying to do. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to be the MEAC and the SWAC. Um, it could be another situation that we're looking to do mm-hmm. in terms of uh, maybe, go, maybe going to FBS at some point in time. Um, so uh, th- those are the conversations that we're currently having. And that takes a great deal of investment in infrastructure and facilities and stadium and experience. Um, and uh, given where the university is in that front with ho- hopefully getting land grant money from the state that's been owed to the university since 1960. Uh, donations, uh, you know, fundraising efforts, you know, we have an opportunity. The bones are here mm-hmm. for um, a uh, university that's sustainable and can really produce um, winning uh, seasons, both on and off the football field, pretty much in any sport. So I think um, that's the, the grand vision for not only myself, but Mickey Allen and President Dr. Glover. Coach George is not a businessman. He is a businessman. Like, I, <laughs> I, I love it, Coach. Like, and to that end, right, I want to ask, do you ever feel the presence of Big John Merritt in and about that place and what he means, not just to Tennessee State, but to college football? You know what, RJ, I wish you were here to see this portrait we have of Big John Merritt in our hallway. It's made up of thousands of pieces. So on the on the side, it's look, it looks like a bunch of jumbled pieces, like a puzzle. But when you turn around and look at it straight on, mm-hmm. the focus shows Big John Merritt's face, the hat, the two hundred hat. Got a cigar. Got a cigar. Of course, the, the cigar. And we're paying homage to uh, what he's meant to this program. He is a Hall of Fame coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he's coached several great athletes in this program, Ed Tutal Jones, uh, Claude Humphreys, Richard Dent, to name a few. Um, He's in the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Oh, by the way, where there are six or seven other uh, Tennessee State uh, alumni that are in that in that um, in in, in Black College Football Hall of Fame. So for our kids to know where they come from and when they put that helmet on, when they put that TSU on the side of their helmet, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of, of great giants. I, I'm in, I'm filling the shoes of some great men that played and coached here. Uh, John Merritt, Elsie uh, Cole, uh, Rod Reed. You know, it is an honor and a privilege to, to, to coach here and to play here. And you've got to understand the history and what you're, what, you're, what you're putting on. When you put on these uniforms, it means something, you know. So tradition, education, entrepreneurship and performance are our pillars and tradition is one that I'm, I'm forcing our kids to know our history when it comes to Tennessee State football. I should mention that it's not just Coach Merritt that won those championships in the 60s and 70s. Rod Reed, who you just mentioned, won Black College Football National Championship in 2013. So it ain't like right. Tennessee is totally rebuilding. I just want folks to right. know, Coach. I know yeah. you know, but I need the people to know. 
the last question I have for you, Coach, is who is the best Ohio State running back ever? I mean, come on. Uh, you got to go with Archie Griffin. <laughs> okay. All right. He's the only See, two-time Heisman winner. In- he juke me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go juke me. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Two Heisman trophies. Uh, but you know that's, that's there's another dude. Never been done about- ever outside. That's he's the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner ever. Okay. Okay. Is your, is your stiff arm back there somewhere? Did you bring it to work? Uh, it's not. It's not here. It's okay. Just- yeah. <laughs> I've just, I hate the people got to know. Uh, Coach George once, once was the best college football player of all time. Like, just, 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 just for that, for that year, for that year, we didn't year. Think it was a better tailback, Coach. Um, yeah. One, uh, one story I would relate to you is when I got into college football and I got into the sport and what it means to us, right before integration, and I'm reading these stories about these coaches, Coach Rob at Grambling, right uh, among others. The one that always I loved the most was Big John Merritt because the way in which he decided to recruit and the personality that he was walking into walking into the locker room telling folks, you owe me a W, you know me a W, you owe me a W, you know, and letting Joe Gilliam Sr. do what he does. Joe Gilliam Jr. comes out of there. Coach, you got all the tradition. You got all the legends. And it feels like you got all the bones to be a championship program. I'm so grateful for your time and I'm so excited for what you mean for Tennessee state and what Tennessee state is going to mean to college football in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, RJ. Have a great day, man. You too, sir. My thanks to coach George for joining us on the number one ranked show and for putting his name and considerable resources to the task of rebuilding a once formidable HBCU program. For more on Coach George and Coach Prime, please check out my feature story on each of them on the Fox Sports app. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention today is the 20th anniversary of one of the worst acts of terrorism this country has ever faced. So many people have been affected, have lost loved ones. Some of them were first responders charging into chaos and unknown danger to save our countrymen. Others were victims of an evil that remains difficult to comprehend in the aftermath of an attack on this land. And we as Americans have made known each and every year since September 11th, 2001, that we will never forget the harm done, the sacrifices made, the lives lost. In that way, today was no different as college football teams across the country honored the fallen with gorgeous displays of gratitude and grace, but one display I thought was most inspiring is this one at the University of Nebraska before the Huskers played Buffalo. They once had first responders walk out with the flag to bring out the Huskers football team. And with this one, they recreated that 20 years later. I, I'm so moved by it. I can't wait for you to see it. Nebraska's famed tunnel walk was altered back in 2001 following the 9-11 attacks as a group of first responders led the team onto the field and they're going to do the same thing today 20 years later.
And in front of the first responders, that's Damian Jackson, the 29-year-old defensive lineman for the Cornhuskers, who spent six years in the Navy, four as a Navy SEAL. Uh, well done, well done, Nebraska. Uh, goodness, the Huskers beat the Bulls twenty-eight to three in Lincoln to improve to two and one as they get ready to play a top-five Oklahoma team expected to contend for the national title next Saturday. And you can't do much better than having a twenty-nine-year-old Navy SEAL lead your team onto the field. All right, football. But today. During what we here on the number one ranked show like to call top 25 bye week, this despite UCLA is the only top 25 team with an actual bye, the others engaged in what might be categorized as spirited fall scrimmages or a delicious assortment of cupcakes. Now listen, this was awful. O-F-F-A-L, slate of games. It's an awful slate of games for top 25 teams, especially in the SEC, which I promise... We will detail on Tuesday's ranking show at 5 Eastern, 8 Pacific. But for now, we're going to focus on the number one team in the country. Now, prior to playing Mercer, Alabama was riding a 98 straight win-win streak against unranked opponents, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's bad enough that Nick Saban defeated Shang-Chi's daddy and took the 10 rings off his cold, dead body. But before Alabama stomped out Mercer after Saban had had it earlier this week with yet a reminder of rat poison, you know, rat poison, it's what Saban calls compliments and what Jalen Hurts calls everything. After whooping Texas A&M in October 2017, 27-19 on the road. Now, ahead of the stomping out of Mercer, here's what Saban had to say about his team ahead of Again, stomping out poor Mercer, 48-14, and after beating number 14, Miami, like they stole something on a neutral site. Okay, I think several years ago, um, it was the sixth or seventh game of the year. Um, we just beat Texas A&M, and people started talking about our team. And I had to bring everyone's attention to 
um, what I referred to as rat poison. All right, so now we basically played one half of one game. All right, we went ahead 27 nothing in the game. Um, and then it was basically 17-16 after that with two stops inside the five-yard line. And, um, you know, so we didn't maintain our intensity in the game. So we were affected by the scoreboard. So we haven't proven that we can play for 60 minutes. Um, then we come out on Monday and really not ready to practice. Uh, I guess because of respect we have for the opponent, I don't really know all that. Or maybe it's what they read on social media or in the media or whatever after one half of a game this season. And, um, you know, then it was hot yesterday. So, you know, so we got every external factor in the world uh, that is affecting our ability to maintain intensity uh, and play the way we need to play and practice the way we need to practice to improve. Uh, we got the scoreboard affects us, uh, who we're playing affects us, uh, the heat affects us, the media and what you guys write every day affects us. So, you know, to me, we got to prove uh, that we can play and maintain intensity for 60 minutes in the game, execute, do our job, play hard, finish games, finish plays, do things the way we're supposed to do it. Nick Saban! Massive uh, compliments. <laughs> his hairline affects them. Hip tying his shoes affects them. It all affects them. And it's all awful. The process is broken because we're beating everybody like they stole something. I love this man. It's just, it's high comedy. Meanwhile, Katy Perry pulled a Trevor Knight on her beloved Ole Miss Rebels. Okay, check this out. In October 2014, Ahead of OU's game against Texas Christian, Trevor Knight looked like a world-beating Heisman contender. Just 10 months earlier, he'd beaten Saban's Alabama in the Sugar Bowl en route to an 11-win season, and he was still hot. Dating back to the previous season, OU had won eight in a row and was the number four ranked team in the country. Then, on the same day OU was set to play an 11 a.m. game against Texas Christian that I was covering, Katy Perry professed she was an Ole Miss fan and that she wanted Trevor Knight to call her. And our man, the Heisman hopeful, got knocked knee, jelly-legged, and shook. He threw two interceptions and one TD in a game where Trayvon Boykin threw two TDs and a pick. OU lost 37-33 at Amon G. Carter and skidded right out of anything resembling the playoff conversation on the other side, TCU won a share of the Big 12 Conference title, finishing 12-1 and that season with a 42-3 Peach Bowl win against Ole Miss. OU finished 8-4 and and got stomped out 40-6 by Clemson in the bargain basement sweatpants bowl. What I'm saying is Oklahoma fans are here to tell you, Ole Miss, you're cursed. You just don't know it yet. Meanwhile, the Big 12 is getting back to 12 teams while Bishop Sycamore is patiently waiting for its Big 12 application to be approved like literally everybody else's was on Friday. Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, and BYU are all set to join the Big 12 sometime between now and the second coming, demonstrating the Big 12 still has sooner tendencies with this blatant land larceny before the whistle, 
okay boomer indeed since cooking up a 2025 national title like a bowl of chili the 2025 ucf knights might make out like your mama's favorite rapper flow rider with their second national title in a decade because baby they're in control now like welcome to the bounce house you know, welcome to my house. That's what that joke is supposed to be. Like UCF, the Houston Cougars have a road to becoming 2025 college football playoff national champions on that bun beat. Draped up and dripped out. Know what I'm talking about. 18-year-old RJ is crunk right now. Baylor versus Brigham Young. I dubbed the, the Dr. Pepper Bowl. Or as Gus Johnson called it early on the show, Baptist Beer. BYOP and BYU fans. Yeah, look, look. You're in Big 12 country now, and it's called pop. We literally have the largest soda bottle, pop bottle, in the entire world. None of this soda mess. Just call it pop. Don't even go with soda pop. Just go with pop. And if you're one of these cops who call it Coke, you must be in Franklin Saints pocket. That's all I'm going to tell you about the snowfall. Of course, you could always go with Shirley Temple Classic because HBCUs play classic. Shout out Bomani Jones because that joke got layers black the new big 12 footprint is 2300 miles wide it spans from orlando to provo from provo to morgantown it's larger than the distance from london to istanbul not constantinople and spans more than a dozen european countries call it the colonizer tough scene at the american office on friday as a year ago sunday its Twitter account sent this tweet, quote, three power six American football wins last week were just the latest in a line of success as we kick off this week's power six points from around the league, end quote. It noted uh, three of its programs got wins against North Carolina, Arizona, and Georgia Tech, who, like the American, haven't won a doggone thing. Now, I asked this question on the Twitters, do you think the Big 12 is still a Power 5 conference? And I got hundreds of replies. But seriously, what is a Power 5 conference anyway? My buddy, Matt Brown, also an Ohio State fan, condolences, who publishes the Extra Points newsletter. You should definitely subscribe to for more on the inner workings of college football and college football athletics in general. Wrote a really detailed and brilliant account of what Power 5 conference means. I'm going to quote him at some length here. A Power Five conference, also known as an autonomy conference, is, quote, a specific NCAA designation, one that allows them to create rules among themselves that the rest of D1 membership doesn't have to follow in the past. That's meant, you know, tackling issues like cost of attendance, medical coverage, housing, uh, and meal spending on recruiting visits, et cetera, stuff like that. Expect the Big 12 to retain this administrative position even after Texas and Oklahoma leave. So in that sense, yes, the Big 12 will literally remain a P5 conference. There's also the question of bowls. Right now, the Big 12 has contractual relationships that not just guarantee their conference champion an automatic bid in a New Year's Six Bowl, but also make sure their conference members get access to games like the Liberty Bowl, Alamo Bowl, and most importantly, the Cheez-It Bowl. Those bowls agreements uh, will be honored through the duration of the current college football playoff contract, which is scheduled to run out in ding ding 2025. Even if the big 12 membership changes during that time, what happens after 2025 
on both fronts is a great question. The entire NCAA Constitution will potentially be rewritten next year, and there's absolutely no guarantee that anything resembling the current autonomy conference designation will exist by 2025 in a few years. The CFP could be four teams, or eight, or 12, or Lord, please, 16. And some currently contracted Big 12 bowl games could become part of that postseason or even cease to exist, end quote. And the level of competitive football in said Big 12 Power 5 conference should be fine, honestly. Since he's playing the kind of football that has them looking airborne, like Shane McDermott, Seth Green, and Jack Black, skating devil's backbone. It's a throwback for some of y'all. Some of y'all get what I'm going with that. Central Florida has been going harder than a 21-year-old spring breaker in Destin, white claw double-fisted, and braided back like Bo Derek. You keep telling her to calm down, and she keeps shouting Iggy Azalea lyrics at you. It's the worst. BYU put the number two overall pick in last year's draft, and now it wants the Power Stone that comes with the Power Five designation. Houston, been ready. They've been ready. Like the late Bill Yeoman was handing out full envelopes of cash money in the locker room. I like to call that old school NIL. Yes, Oklahoma and Texas picking up and leaving severely brings down the household income of the Big 12 again. Any divorce is going to leave scars, especially in one that is turned nasty like this one, where OU and Texas serve Big 12 papers on a Monday at work. Divorce can ruin you for years, if not ever, and I'm speaking from experience there, but in the words of Casey Musgraves, what doesn't kill you better run. That's a show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, Direct TV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our head of screening is Rachel Cohn. Our editor, is uh, Tang Tejano, and our executive producer is Kristen Herlihy. That's it for me. Doses.